Father, I pray that uh, we've been here a long time. Our attention tends to get um, diminished and, and worn out. I pray you would refresh our minds and our hearts. May we give attention to what this presentation has to say, and may it be carried forth in our lives from now on. I pray in Messiah's name. Amen. I want to talk about when you got the blues. Down there in the corner is B.B. King. When you talk about blues, you've got to talk about B.B. King. Reminds me of a story. I used to work for a man named Moish Rosen, and I used to be the music director of the music group. And we decided one time we were going to propose to Moish that we knew a falasha, a, a black Jew, named Beit Beit Melech. Melech means king. So we said, we have this guy, Beit Beit Melech, and he played guitar. And he, he thought we were serious, but we were talking about B.B. King, this man up here. So, when you got the blues, discouragement and serving God. I must preface this by saying that discouragement comes naturally to me. I... I am um, more often discouraged than encouraged. So if you're a person who is living with discouragement now or who lives with discouragement frequently, I understand. I've also learned, uh, I don't think that discouragement is from God. God is the God of encouragement. Of, the scripture tells us he's the God of encouragement. Discouragement just immobilizes us. And it's not only not just fun, but it's not productive. I want to talk today about discouragement and serving God. I mentioned earlier in Genesis 15 that Abraham was discouraged when he went and delivered his nephew Lot and all the people who had been captured as prisoners of war from, from Sodom. He came back. And the king, of, the king uh, uh, of Sodom came out and said, fantastic, take all the plunder, it's yours, just give me back the people. And Abram said, look, I've sworn to God most high that I wouldn't even take a shoelace from you, because he had a bad reputation. And then, in the next chapter, Abraham is sitting there discouraged, because God had promised him a son. Abraham is now... Uh, he's now close to 100 years old. He doesn't have son number one. He doesn't, God had promised him uh, descendants like the stars of the heavens, and he hasn't had son number one. And now he's antagonized the king of Sodom by telling him, I don't need your money. And he's antagonized the kings that he conquered to bring the prisoners of war back. And Abraham is feeling like a dope, and he's discouraged. And God says to him, Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. Notice, I am your shield, I'll protect you from your enemies, and you're not a chump for giving up that plunder. Your reward shall be very great. But now, we fast forward from the time of Abraham, approximately uh, 800 years, and now we're talking about Moses. Moses also was well acquainted with discouragement, and we're going to look at some of that right now. All right, let's try that. 
He's born a slave, first of all. And he fled from Egypt, a fugitive. You remember he had killed an Egyptian who was beating up on some Israelites. Moses had been raised until he was about five by his birth mother, who put a good Jewish identity in him. And he went out and he killed this Egyptian. And then a couple of days later, he saw two Israelites fighting with each other. And he tried to intervene. And they said, look, who made you to be a prince and a ruler over us? They're trying to kill us like you killed the Egyptian. At that point, Moses knew that everybody knew that he had killed the Egyptian. So he got out of town. So he left Egypt, a fugitive. Now he's over age. Now he's 80 years old. Not only over age, but he has a very bad job description, a very bad job uh, employment record. He's been working for 40 years now, taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. you got to realize how um, demeaning that is. Because in the Middle East, to this very day, the people who take care of the sheep are usually the little boys and the old men who can't do anything else. And Moses is, not, is taking, spending 40 years in the middle of nowhere and he's not even taking care of his own sheep. It's his father-in-law's sheep. He is a very discouraged man. He has a very poor self-image. These indented bullet points are the five things he says to God at Mount Sinai when God tries to enlist him to go deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt and go to Pharaoh and tell old Pharaoh let my people go. And what does Moses say? Moses first says, who am I to do this? You sure you've got the right address? Who, who am I to do this? Yeah, he says, I don't know enough. He says, I don't even know your name. Who am I going to tell them sent me? He says, I'm so, I mean, I, I don't have the capacity. I don't even have the information. He says, they will not believe me. He says, I'm not eloquent. And he says this over and over again. He has a speech defect, as far as we know. He says, I'm not eloquent. Please, send somebody else. Send Barack Obama. <laughs> I'm George W. Bush. You know, I can't talk very well. So he is totally discouraged. Let's see what else we got. So then... He says all of this to God at, 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 at Sinai, and God says, I want you to go anyway. I want you to go to tell Pharaoh to, to let my people go out into the wilderness that they might worship me in the wilderness. Not I want them to escape. I just want them to worship me in the, in the wilderness. So Moses and Aaron do that. They go to Pharaoh, and they tell him that. And Pharaoh says, you know, you choose. Uh, you... Uh, you got too much time on your hands. Uh, we want you to make the same number of bricks, but this time we're not going to supply the straw that you use to bind the bricks together. You got to go out and gather the straw yourself. Well, they do that, but it's not working out very well, and the and and the the Israelites are being beaten, physically beaten, for not making their quota. So he goes to Pharaoh. Things get worse. 
Then the foremen of the people of Israel, that is the Israelite foremen, they turn on Moses and Aaron and say, you know, thanks a lot. Uh, who needs for a, friend, a friend like you? Life is worse for us than it was before. So now, picture poor Moses. He's 80 years old. He's come back to Egypt where he left a fugitive. There's a new pharaoh. He left the fugitive. He comes back. He feels totally inadequate. He feels ill-equipped. He goes to Pharaoh, and everything backfires. And now Pharaoh was mad at the Israelites, and the Israelites were mad at Moses. He's discouraged. So the God of Israel responds. Now, I want you to look at this. I want you, uh, I want you to pay attention to the language. Especially, I want you to pay attention to who is the subject of every verb, which means who is the actor in each of these sentences? Who is the person who takes action? Notice, Adonai spoke to Moshe. He said to him, I am Adonai. I appeared to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov as El Shaddai, although I did not make myself known to them by my name, yud heh vav Adonai. Also, with them, I established my covenant to give them the land of Canaan, the land where they wandered about and lived as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians are keeping in slavery, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am Adonai. I will free you from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their oppression and redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am Adonai who freed you from the forced labor of the Egyptians and I will bring you into the land which I swore to Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. I will give it to you as your inheritance. I am Adonai. So again, I ask you this question. Who is the actor? Who is the subject of every verb? Who is the doer? Who is it? It's God. You've got to realize the children of Israel are also discouraged. Everybody's discouraged. When Moses and Aaron first go to the children of Israel, it says in Torah they did not believe him because they had a crushed spirit. They'd been slaves for too long. And they just didn't believe it. And then Moses gets them to hope a little bit, and everything falls apart. And so when Moses comes back to God and says, what have you done to me? God says this. And you notice that in what God says, he is the one who is taking all the action. He is taking the responsibility of making things better. So let's look a little more. Look at Moses' focus. In the same context, after God says all this to him, look where Moses is focused. Moshe said to Adonai, look, the people of Israel haven't listened to me, so how will Pharaoh listen to me, poor speaker that I am? And Moshe answered Adonai, look, I'm such a poor speaker that Pharaoh won't listen to me. What is Moses focusing on? Huh? Himself. Himself and his own liabilities. You notice this. This is crucial stuff. This is very important for us. 
What do we learn from this about the cause and the cure of discouragement? The question is, where is your focus? Your weaknesses, do you focus on your weaknesses? When I wake up in the morning, believe me, I usually wake up thinking about the things I haven't gotten done, the things that are not going well, the things that I'm worried about. That's the first thing I think about. But if you are always focusing on your weaknesses, your liabilities, your sins, your, your inadequacies, you are going to be discouraged. And I think the lesson that this Torah passage, which Talia read so willingly and gloriously for us, I think that this Torah passage is telling us, is asking us, where's your focus? Is it on your weakness or is it on God's strength? Is it on God's promises? This is not make-believe stuff. God knows what you know about yourself. He knows what you know. The, the same Torah passage just after what Talia read, the Torah then says this, and notice how, how kind of redundant it is. Amram married Yocheved, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. Amram lived to be 137 years old. These are the Aaron and Moshe, the Aaron and Moses, whom God said, to whom God said, bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, division by division, and who told Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel leave Egypt. These are the same Moshe and Aaron. The Torah passage is saying, we want you to understand this. These are normal human beings. They're the children of Yocheved and Amram. This Moses and Aaron, not Superman, not somebody from another planet, these ordinary human beings, these very same people. The Torah is introducing this because the Torah is about now to introduce us to the 10 plagues where Moses becomes and Aaron become giants in the eyes of Israel. But we should remember that before they were giants, they were germs. Before they were giants, they were just ordinary people. The Torah is reminding us God did these magnificent things with ordinary folks, and we forget. I had somebody come to me at our midweek Bible study who was comparing herself to, who has a tendency to compare herself to all the great people in the Bible and always think of herself as, you know, a work in progress. God knows what you know about yourself. He knows how ordinary you are. And he's prepared to use you anyway. Do you know what God knows? God knows what you know, but do you know what God knows? Paul knew what God knows, and we need to hear from Paul as he says this. Such is the confidence we have through the Messiah towards God. It is not that we are confident in ourselves to count anything as having come from us. On the contrary, our competence is from God. That was true of Moses, too. It's true of you. It's true of me. In yourself, you may feel totally incompetent, and you may be totally right. But Paul says, our competence is from God. He has made us competent to be workers 
serving a new covenant, the essence of which is not a written text, but the spirit. Why does he say that? Because when you have the written text in front of you, you have certain demands that are made upon you. And if you have a lousy self-image, those demands totally discourage you. Because you say, I've been there, I've done that. I've tried to live up to these demands all my life. It doesn't work. But this new covenant is the covenant of the Spirit, where the very presence of God comes to indwell you and to give you the capacity to do God's will. If you read the passage about the new covenant in Jeremiah, it says, this is the new covenant we'll make with the house of Israel, not like the covenant they made with their fathers, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband unto them. But this is the covenant I will make of the children of Israel. I will place my Torah in their hearts. And then he does the same thing. He talks, God uses all these verbs where he is the subject. I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. The new covenant is a covenant about God's doing in and through us. What he did for us and what he's going to do in and through us. And that's what Paul was saying here. Let's read on a little bit. I know what it's like to have little. I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstance, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and going hungry, of having plenty and of being in your circumstances are going to, are going to be up and down. You're going to be working. You're going to find a great job. You're going to lose that job. You're going to have great friends, you're going to lose those friends. You're going to have a great marriage, you're going to lose that marriage. Things happen. You're going to have great health, like Elliot Clayman, a race walker, a vegetarian, a man who took endless care of himself, and then he developed terrible kidney problems. It happens. Paul says, I know the secret of being up and being down. He says, I can do, that is, I can endure, and I can handle all things through him who strengthens me. The question for today is a simple one. Where is our focus? If you focus on your incapacities, on your bad track record, on your liabilities, I can promise you discouragement. If you focus on God's ability and his faithfulness and his character, I can promise you encouragement. That's the way it works. Shomo Morita is a favorite thinker of mine. He's a psychiatrist who flourished in the first half of the 20th century, actually the first third of the 20th century or so. And he advised this. He, he dealt a lot with depressed people in Japan. And he said, accept your feelings. He said, your feelings are like the clouds of the Japanese sky. They change. You can't control them anymore than you control the clouds. Accept your feelings, know your purpose, and do what needs to be done. That's what he said. I want to add something to that. Accept your feelings, know your purpose, trust God, and do what needs to be done. That's what I suggest. Seek first the kingdom of God regardless of how you feel, especially regardless of how you feel about yourself. So here's our final question again. Where's your focus? Let's pray.
Thank you, God, for your word, which we so skillfully misunderstand. We forget, we don't notice how ordinary Moses was, how ordinary Aaron was, how ordinary Abraham was. Yes, we see them as extraordinary because they trusted you in difficult circumstances. We grant that. But they saw themselves like we see ourselves. They saw themselves as unskilled, unqualified, incapable. Many of us see ourselves the same way. Help us to remember, God, that as you were with Moses, as you were with Abraham, so you will be with us. You are a trustworthy God. Nothing is impossible with you. And you are pleased through this new covenant of the Spirit to inhabit us in a way that makes us capable of doing exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or even imagine. So may we walk out of this place today with our cup more filled with faith than when we walked in. I ask in Yeshua's name. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.